Welcome to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM. I am your host, Robbie Morgan, and this is my lovely co-host, Katie. G'day! And today we have another co-host named Beck. You! Hi! Thanks, guys, for having me here. Great to have you with us. Yeah. We're stoked to have you on the show today, Beck. Welcome, welcome. So, uh, before we get into what's going on on the show today, I just thought I'd ask the question, how's everybody doing today? Fantastic! Yeah, I'm actually doing really well. I just submitted an assignment for uni um, and also I'm out the house. So it's pretty exciting. I'm not really dressed like outside clothes for a very long time. So this is good. I put actual shoes on. To it's, come a it's a good feeling. A <laughs> I remember an event that happened recently with someone I know whose name will remain nameless, who came outside in their dressing gown and gumboots. And they were very embarrassed about it. There's, it's getting outside of the house yeah, when yeah. you're not in, feeling like you're dressed. It's actually something that a lot of people find quite embarrassing. What's funny about it, though, is that nobody else thinks it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Everyone's fine with it. Like, how often do you rock up in daggy clothes to Coles or Woolworths and you feel awkward, but nobody else even notices because they're all doing the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Good point. <laughs> how is your day today, Robbie? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So, <laughs> I know you've been waiting for that so question. So I am... Oh, you know, there's something amazing about being organized and being planned, but then there's something even more amazing about having opportunities that drop into your lap last minute that you can seize. So last night we, were, we had a Bible study group at my house, mm-hmm. and one of my friends who's in the Bible study group, he said, hey, um, what are you doing tomorrow? Because I want to invite you to go sailing on a yacht. Oh, whoa. And so Woo-hoo. I said, well, let me check my schedule. And I didn't have anything written down in my calendar. I found out later that I, I actually had double booked myself, but I forgot to put it in my calendar. But that's <laughs> all important. sorted because she's a lovely Rescheduled. lady. And um, yeah, I got to go sailing and, yeah. and to get on a boat from Newcastle and go all the way down through Swansea Channel into Beautiful. Lake Macquarie, which is the largest saltwater lake in the Southern Hemisphere. And what so a good day exciting. for it. Sunny and warm. Yeah, it was great. pretty cool. We got to see some cool things. Got to see a dolphin today. Uh, swimming underneath the boat. So there's, you know, it's really neat to be able to seize opportunities. Mm. And I suppose that's kind of a bit of what you're talking about, Beck, an opportunity to get out of the house. Absolutely. We've that's got the right. opportunity, no matter where we are right now, if we're listening to the radio, we can, we can tune into Real Faith and we can do some Bible study. And today we have an exciting show lined up for you. So I'm super excited to announce that we've got one of my very closest friends. His name is Akil. And Akil was born in India and, um, did not come from a Christian family, and he'll be sharing a bit of his testimony today. His mm. story we'll be hearing a little later on today. So super excited to hear about that and how he encountered Jesus. Awesome. Um, and we're also going to be going through our next character in our Encounter Jesus Ooh, series. What are we studying? What are we studying? So today we're going to be looking at John chapter 8, and we'll be following the encounter that Jesus has in the temple with a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Mm-hmm. So this is Audrey Assad, I Wonder As I Wander.
So where are you from, Akil? I was born in Pune, India. Pune is a little city outside of Mumbai, about four hours south. You and I actually went there. It's true. Uh, like, it's true. Like we four did. years ago. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so I'm from Pune, India, but I spent a lot of time growing up in the United States and more recently, I think the last seven years in Australia. That's awesome, man. Well, we're so glad that you could uh, share your testimony, brother. Oh, blessing to be here. First question I have for you is what was life like for you prior to your encounter with Jesus? That's a good question. I come from a, I come from a non-religious household. Uh, well, you know, my extended family is are religious. My grandma, for example, is a Hindu. My step-grandma is a Muslim. But largely in my house, when I was little growing up, we were kind of indifferent to it. So religion wasn't, or, or God, or things of that nature weren't really discussed too much. Um, so it was, it's very much an academic home that I grew up in. Uh, very much, you know, looking to, to be the best you can be in the academic world, making sure that you get whatever qualification you need to move on. And so it was, it was focused on qualifications and achievements and focused on gain that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you spent a lot of your early childhood in India, but then most of your, your adolescence was really spent in, in the United States, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of it. And it was, that was really cool. I loved, I loved living in the United States. It was a bit odd because we were in a country town and I was like the only Indian kid in my entire school um so it was a little <laughs> bit strange to get used to you know you come from the land of, of a billion indians to a country town where you, you can't even see another person you can same skin color uh, <laughs> it so would have been a, cool. a bit of a change yeah it was definitely it has challenges you know yeah so here's a question for you um in that journey before you met christ where where would you say you found your value and how did you experience your like your sense of identity that's a really good question um like i said my family unit uh well my parents got divorced and on both ends there were still there were very different people my dad was a little bit more strict and stern and my mom was a little bit more lenient more uh, relational more accepting more you know encouraging nurturing but uh, they were both they both valued academic success very highly in fact so does the rest of my family so Coming, coming from a family that like that, and being a kid who actually didn't succeed that much academically, it um, it really it really affects the way you look at yourself. Because I wouldn't be able to please my dad with anything I did. I used to play the violin and I played football and I, I was okay at uh, football, but I was I happened to be kind of okay, pretty good at the violin actually. But no, no matter how good I got at it, it just it wouldn't matter because all he cared about was you know did you get an A on your math and I never would because I just never could. I was never able to get a really good academic score in school. And so it really affects your identity because you here's the one person that's family where you live in a country where you don't know anybody else. You have no other family. And the only family you have don't think you're good enough because you're not getting what they want you to get. I'm not getting those A's and B's. I'm getting like C's and D's. And they kind of disregard it. They go, you know, your life is worthless. You can play the violin all you want. But if you don't get any results you're basically going to end up being ashamed to the family and it's going to be um your life's going to suck and it's going to have no meaning yeah that's heavy and so so where did that lead you yeah well my dad and i had a big falling out over it because he was um he he was he was very he had a short temper 
he's changed a lot now and i i don't want to i don't want what i i don't want what i'm saying now to shape the picture people get of him he's actually changed a lot and he's gotten and you've met him um recently and he's very mellow now and he's very likable and approachable but man when i was young he was stern uh and and he physical discipline was a very big part of that being stern and you know it, it just gets to the point where you can take it for so long and after a while you just can't take it anymore so we had a falling out i was maybe oh man i, I can't remember i was like 15 or 16 or something like that and i just had lashed out and when you're 15 and 16 you can easily overpower somebody who's older than you because you you know you're young and you have that so i, I didn't want that to be like the story that my life had is that man this is this is the relationship I have with my dad. It's gotten to the point where we're at, you know, where it blows literally. So I moved to the, to Australia from the United States and that really, that really was a big formative part of my life. Um, so I, I forget the question. I'm sorry, but that really, that really changed. That really changed me. And, and moving to Australia, I came from that, man, my, I don't know what to do with my life right now, but I don't want my life to be reacting to how my dad is with me. Yeah. And so it sounds like this was a time where, where you started to make some, some different decisions and started looking for perhaps meaning or value or significance or purpose in other things. Absolutely. That's a really good way of saying it, actually. So, so what other things did you, did you find, or, or I guess, or did you explore to try and find meaning and purpose? Yeah. Well, look, I, I've always been a people person, so to speak. I, uh, I've, I've heard stories of people, you know, finding music or, like sports or academia or something like that to find their value in. But I've always just been a people person and I've always found that, man, if I, if I don't get any sort of encouragement or if I don't get any sort of gratification from people, nothing I do is good enough. So when I, when I came here, my friends were a big part of that. My mom was a big part of that. But at the same time, you know, interestingly, when I was moving from the United States to Australia, I sat next to a Christian lady in a plane and she's still to this day, a very good friend of mine, but that, kind of started me looking at things beyond people and beyond stuff, um, finding things that are greater than I am. So God was a big one. She was a Christian lady. And I remember sitting next to her, we had a chat about, you know, oh, I believe in God. And I went, oh, yeah, that's cool. I actually don't know if I do at all. You know, if 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 I were pressed, I would say no. But that got me thinking. And I started asking then my mom, who is, um, she's not religious, but she's definitely spiritual. Um, so I started asking her some questions. I started asking uh, the, this lady on the plane some questions after a while, and I just started reading stuff up because I thought, well, whatever this is, has got to be greater than um, what I have right now. So that interaction on the airplane with um, your friend Claire, I don't know if you said the name, but that's her name. Claire, that's um, right. That interaction was actually like the catalyst for this this beginning of a journey for you. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I remember she uh, she gave me her email coming off the plane from uh, San Francisco to Sydney. She gave me her email and I threw it away. I was like, this is creepy. But I gave her my email as well, so she had it. But um, <laughs> as she she emailed me a couple of things. She went, here, you know, welcome to Australia. Like, here's some things you can do. And um, during that time, I suppose I skipped this bit out. I, I mentioned earlier, people were my thing. Um, I, I found my value in people and I found, you know, how people thought of me and how people behaved with me shaped how I felt day to day. Um, and during that time, I I was in a relationship that didn't that didn't go too well. 
Um, we'll, I guess we'll just leave it at that. But I found myself going down a, a pretty scary space in my in my mind um, where, you know, it wasn't leading to any fruitful conclusions. It wasn't leading to anything nicer. It was just, it was getting ugly and dark. So around that time, yeah. I actually sent her a, a message and said, look, I've been trying to find things that are spiritual in nature. I started listening to a lot of um, music that forced myself to think in a different way. And I started getting really like connected with this idea that the universe is greater than you and that it provides. And I started getting into that. So I sent her a, a message and I said, look, I know that you deal with like supernatural things like God and stuff. I'm trying to find that myself. And I have some things I found. I'd love to sit and talk to you about it. And that's kind of how that initial brush went. And, and she started coming over. She drove like an hour from where she was to where I was every week on a Wednesday and we just sit and talk. We talk about the Bible, or we just sit and talk, play music, or whatever it was. But that 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 lasted about two two and a half years. And over the course of that two and a half years, would you say that you had some sort of experience with God? Uh so here I I actually would I in hindsight I would say that I didn't have an experience with God then, but I would say that I had an experience with people who had an experience with God. Okay, cool. So, cool. I, so I saw like I saw her life being awesome and i saw people that were surrounded by her having this amazing time with god who to me was still unknowable right i didn't know this god but i i saw what they had and i was like this is curious i want to know more um, that's awesome yeah. so on that journey you were studying the bible you were learning about god having these conversations mm. you at some point yeah actually had an encounter with jesus can you tell us a little bit briefly about how how you actually met jesus how did how did you become a follower of jesus yeah um well this was around again same i had, I had a breakup it was going really bad and i i kind of put myself into another relationship that went sour again and i just kept going further down this rabbit hole and this is all during the time where i'm meeting claire and her friends and i'm getting to know them i'm, I'm looking at the life they're living and the quality of life they had i'm i'm liking it and they're they're attributing all this to this guy named jesus and that's kind of the association I have, second-handed association I had with Jesus was, I know people that have great lives and they say it's because of him, but I don't have a great life. Um, so I find myself in a moment of desperation. So I get this text, right? I'm on the verge of suicide, hanging on by a blade of grass before I fall off this cliff. And I get a text from Claire and she says to me, happy Sabbath, little friend. And she used to call me friend or something like that, little brother or something. It was really cute. And she sent me this text and I read it and I went, oh, you know, come to me, all those who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I kind of, I didn't know what that mean. I'm going to be totally upfront and honest. I didn't have like this profound epiphany, like, whoa, cool. But I just thought, man, this, this is Jesus talking. And this is the Jesus that I've seen in other people's lives that's worked. And he's saying that there's a level of rest available to me as well. Yeah. Um, and that really struck a chord with me. Like I, it, you know, it saved my life. Literally that verse, it didn't mean anything to me at the time, except for it provided me with hope, but it led me to asking the questions that led me to getting to know him. And, and, and that hope converted into reality. Um, after That's amazing, a while. man. Praise God for that. Hey, oh man, it's totally incredible. So from there, you you continued on your journey and I met you actually, when you went to do a, a Bible school to learn more. Yeah. And so tell us a bit more about, you know, how, how has God led in your life? When, when did you give your heart to Jesus and how has God changed your life from that moment of despair mm. to where you are now as, a, you know, working in ministry, mm -hmm. sharing Jesus with people as, you know, your occupation? 
Yeah. Oh, it's it's such a cool journey to reflect on, man. It's like four years and so much has changed, right? Um, but so after that, after that experience, I started, um, I started reading the Bible a little bit more seriously, and I came across a, a story in the Bible in John chapter eight, the first story in John chapter eight about this woman caught in adultery, and I really resonated with that, and that started me reading more of the Bible. But as I read more, I had more questions, and um, I'd go to the church that um, I was recommended to go to, and those questions weren't being answered for me, and I, I just really wanted those questions answered. There were serious questions that were stopping me from, there was dissonance, right? I'm, I, like, I'm gripped by the story, but I'm not gripped by, it's not being buttressed or it's not being held up by any facts. Um, they, I, I've, I experienced what were you know seeming loopholes in the story, but no one was answering those questions. Somebody recommended this program, like you said, it's a Bible college or a discipleship school called Arise, and um, I enrolled and I got in and I went there and over there, I actually had a lot of my questions answered because there were classes dedicated to asking difficult questions and answering difficult questions, and that really helped. Um, hanging out with you helped a lot, and man, you know what? You know what? I haven't told you this, but the, the thing that really shifted my perspective from God just being hope, you know, just offering hope to being real was um, meeting you for the first time where you weren't in a good space in your life either. And, um, that's I mean, very true. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to like open up any, anything over here, Go but I, I remember that you, you said you, you, you were praying for God to come and give you a hug. Cause you wanted God to, you want to feel God's presence. And I happened to drive by and I saw somebody crying and I went over and I offered you a bag of chips, which is huge for me. Um, I love sour cream and onion chips. Um, <laughs> and I gave them to you and I gave you a hug and I left and it wasn't until man, like a month or so, a month and a half into that, that you actually told me the story. And it was around that time where I went, man, that's that's awesome because it isn't just stories that provide hope. It's real. Like God knew that he needed you and I happened to drive by and he, he used me before I even acknowledged him as real. Yeah. Right. He used me before I even thought of him as a real being instead of just stories and, and a guy who re resembled hope. And that was kind of the thing that really changed my relationship with God is going, man, if he can use me to make somebody else who actually regards him as God use use me to help that person. Yeah. That's the kind of God that I can get behind. And I understand this. I understand that hope is more than just, you know, a story. It's a person. Yeah. And that really changed for me and I just couldn't help myself, but study more. And it, I happened to just fall into ministry to answer the second part of your question. I wasn't like keen to do it. And you and I both weren't very keen to do it at the start. But, but you got to go where God leads, eh? That's right. I mean, I hear all these stories. My mentor is like this epic dude who knew he wanted to do it and like went to college and like killed it in college and killed it in his internship and he's killing it as a pastor. But my story is kind of a little bit different where I like I went there because I didn't even know if this Jesus was real. And um, I just kind of fell and stumbled through the back door into ministry and I'm loving every second of it. It's challenging. But, um, you know, every time I get an opportunity to reflect where I was to how God's using me now, it's just mind-blowing. That's amazing, Akil. That's amazing. So lastly, I just want to ask in, in a few words, is there is there anything that you'd like to say to our listeners? Well, that's a big question. Um, I suppose I suppose if, if there's anybody there that's listening that has not or is toying with the idea of God or hasn't even thought about it yet, I say, Give it a shot because you actually have nothing to lose by trying. 
if you try and you find out that that's not real, you haven't lost anything. But if you try and you find out that, hey, Jesus is real, and he in fact is, you have nothing but eternity and, and joy to gain. Um, so give it a shot, because even if you're not taking it seriously, God's taking you seriously. Oh, I love that, Akil. Even if you're not taking God seriously, he mm. is taking you seriously. Mm. Well, thank you so much, brother, for uh, sharing your story with us. May God bless you in your ministry. Hey, thanks and, so much um, for having me can't on. Can't wait to see you next time. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Epic. God bless you, man. Oh, you too, man. Thanks so much. This world is a wicked place Filled with snares for our fallen race So this day we seek your grace You raise our child in your ways You gave him life, you've let him grow We have him now to love and hold But time will come to let To Real Faith with Robbie, Katie, and Beck today. Super excited to have you on air. And um, just while I'm thinking of it, just wanted to remind you that if you have any Bible questions that you would like answered, that you can call or text in at 1 800 324 843, 1 800 Faith FM, or you can text in at 0491 064 669. Now we've come to that portion of our show where we are going to hear some weird and wonderful things about our world. Absolutely, that's right. Awesome. So I have a question for Robbie and Beck before I share something weird and wonderful about our world today. What is one of the oldest things you have or you own and how old is it? Oh, I think the oldest thing that I can think of that I own, that I still have with me, is my orange beanie. I have an orange beanie that I bought from 
Walmart when I was 16 years old, and I am now 32. That's a 16 year old okay. beanie. 16 years. That's, that's I'm, fairly I'm actually old. really well known for it. Yeah, you are. You People are. either know me as Robbie with the orange beanie or Robbie the American. Yes, it's true. <laughs> one of those two. How about you, Beck? Yeah, for me, I'll probably say something that I actually own in the moment is an old car. So, yes. um, yeah, nice. my car's probably about 20 years old. Okay. I have not had it for 20 years, um, but I had it for the past three, and she has served me well. So, awesome. Yeah, that's Classic. What I have. Great. Well, today I want to share with you guys something that's much older than the car and the beanie combined. Mm-hmm. And that Prove is... It. Prove it. <laughs> oh, dear. Be cool, Katie. You might have to take my word on it or do some of your own research. But I want to share with you guys, and I was inspired by this because recently when Robbie and I got married, we went to New Zealand for our honeymoon and we saw New Zealand's oldest tree. Now, I was wanting to find out what is the world's oldest tree. Mm-hmm. And I found out that it is a pine. And specifically, you're going to love this, Robbie. Yes, winning. Pine trees are the best. Robbie loves pine trees. It is a Bristol cone pine, which is native to California, as you all know. And the oldest I hope you're all clapping in your cars right now. <laughs> hey, guys, if you don't know, that's because that's where Robbie is from. That's so exactly right. He's super right. excited about yes. this. Yes. So this um, old tree has been nicknamed or termed Methuselah, which is named after one of the oldest Bible characters. In or fact, the it oldest. It is the oldest, the oldest Bible oldest character. man that ever lived. That's, that's so I should cool. say. That's right. It. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> they estimate that this tree is about 4,851 years old. That's crazy. Say that again. How many years? 4,851 years old. However... That's almost 5,000 years old. Methuselah was, you know, identified as the oldest tree. However, in 2012, they have found other trees in the same region um, that they think are older, but they just don't have any names. So I wanted to share about... it's debatable. It's debatable. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But how amazing is that? This tree... That's crazy to me. Older than, you know... 2,000 years when Jesus was on the earth, Mm. existing before Daniel, before King David. It's older than or a similar age to some of the pyramids in Egypt. It's pretty, pretty incredible. That's amazing. That's, that is super old. It's, it's actually really interesting to just think that something has survived long enough on earth Mm. to have gone through the rise and the fall of of all the nations of Europe. All of these different things in these biblical times, that's, that's just astounding. And something that's really neat about this pine um, tree, Methuselah specifically, is we actually don't know where its location is. Mm. We do know that it's in the White Mountains of California, but they haven't actually identified which tree it is because they want to protect it. So you can go... That's fair enough. It, yeah. <laughs> so you can I go... I can think of a few people who'd want to hang their hammock off it or something. <laughs> oh, there'd be many. You can go hike this national forest, but you will only be able to guess which one Methuselah is. Wow. You know, I do you guys like to climb trees? I love climbing trees, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I actually like to hug trees. I remember hugging trees. I'm a big hugger, so COVID is getting me down. But, man, That's I remember weird. hugging I'm gonna trees. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> when I was a child in school, Robbie. Oh, it's good. That's a good addendum. <laughs> That's great. But I was just thinking about a tree that, because it was named Methuselah, you didn't know this. This is probably new to you. But where, where I grew up, there was a university uh, campus near near my house. And when I went to uni there, there was a tree that had low-hanging branches. The, the, the actual branches that came off of this tree were probably about between six and eight meters long. And they actually were, it, the tree was so old and the branches were so heavy that they sagged from about five foot off the ground down to touching the ground wow. or when I was yeah. there just you know six inches off the ground and we mm. called it wow. Methuselah there you go because it was close there's more than one Methuselah tree, tree. Yeah. That's, right. yeah. wow. that's great some other interesting facts um, 
During dry periods, these type of trees actually remain dormant until the conditions are more favorable to them. So that's kind of neat. Not only that, but the pine needles on this particular type of pine tree, um, they are viable up Oh, on the tree for up to 40 years and most other wow. pine trees average are more like five years so, so it's they've actually got long leaves yeah and it's a very or long living leaves I should that's say. that's right and it's a very slow um a slow growing tree so it's a yeah a really fascinating that's a real, that's thing. a real tortoise and hare thing right like the other trees grow faster but they don't live as long yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> that's exactly right so yeah here's just a few interesting and fun and weird wonderful facts about the pine tree, the bristle pine cone tree, I should be more specific about. So thank you for listening, guys. Um, I just want you guys to remember how awesome God is and how creative he is. Mm. We hope you've enjoyed this week's weird and wonderful world facts about some of the world's oldest tree. Now it's time for another song. You are listening to Real Faith on Faith FM. love one another you're back with robbie katie and beck on faith fm listening to real faith and we're going to get into our bible study time so we're opening up to john chapter 8 which is a fascinating little piece of scripture and we're actually going to just spend the bulk of our time in the first 11 verses um and this is just such an amazing story and i'm, I'm really stoked that akil was able to share something that tied in with this chapter yeah that, 
someone who's so close to me who I've just seen be someone who has led many people to faith in Jesus, who's been there and helped me on my highs and lows in mm. life. And to hear that this was a story that, that has just impacted his life like it's impacted many others, to show him the reality of how God's grace can change your life. It's powerful. It's just a powerful Amen. thing. So we're going to get into this right now, and we're going to find out about who this woman was, which there's not that many details about her in, in Scripture, but we are going to read this story. Mm. Now, one thing that I think is really important to know is the context of when this took place, and this will come in... And interesting, I think, a little bit later on. But this story actually takes place on the very final day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Mm. So the Feast of Tabernacles went for a week, and it was one of three celebrations in which all of the males of Israel were required to make a journey or a pilgrimage, so to Mm. speak, all the way to Jerusalem and to participate in this feast. So this, there were three that happened with a pilgrimage each year, mm-hmm. and this yeah. was the final one. So this is a, a joyous festival. This is, this is the time at the end of the year where the, you know, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, has already taken place. They've been cleansed of sin. The, the tabernacle has been cleansed of sin. And here the people are rejoicing in what God has done for them. It's yeah. the celebration time. Yeah. And so that's just kind of taken place the day before Jesus was in the temple and he was talking about how he would give people who believed the fountain of living water, that Mm. he was this fountain. And Mm. so we have him come back the next day and here is the story. So let's start reading without any further ado. And Katie, we'll get you to read for us. Can you read the first three verses of John chapter eight? Okay, John chapter eight, one to three. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst. Oh, next verse as well, sorry. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. All right, let's pause for a moment because yeah. that there's there's so this is one of those stories like like the last like story from last week where there's so much in the text. And yeah. also it's one of those stories I think where you have just um you have questions about it straight away. You're like uh, this is only half the story. We're only getting part of this here. Mm, what do you mean by that? What by, do you mean by, by that? By the fact that it says, well, I, I might be stealing your thunder, Robbie, but looking in verse four, Steal it, it says, she was caught in the very act of adultery. So immediately to me, I'm like, well, where did they catch her? Okay. How did they find her? That's ex- where are the people? Oh, you know? Great questions. Right? How did they know? Like, <laughs> yeah, why they, yeah. 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 No, this is a serious question. Mm, because, for sure. And you have to, if you really want to get out of scripture, what's going on, you have to ask these kinds of questions. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, you will be rewarded mm. for inquisitiveness with Scripture, is my experience. So good. Okay, so, so let's try and ask some of these questions. So first of all, what's adultery? Mm. Not everybody who's listening may know what that means. It's not a word that we use all the time. That's true, yeah. It's... I'll take by silence that nobody's going to answer that question. Oh, I was about to give oh, you a <laughs> Now I'm nervous I won't have the right answer. No. Um, <laughs> adultery is having extramarital sex. Yeah. A sexual relationship outside of marriage. That's right. So specifically, that's what's being spoken of here. What's interesting... Specifically, also when you're married. Yes. So it's somebody who is married doing that. It wasn't necessarily just two young youths. I think like it's important to remember one of these partners, one of these people were married in, in the situation. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, well, I've got so many things to say, but we will find out <laughs> from some of the later things that happen in the story that indicates she was likely a betrothed woman. Mm which means that she would have been engaged to marry. And in their context, that was, that was a, good a as, legally binding yeah. 
contract yeah. already. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what adultery is. So here's a woman who was caught, it says word for word, in the very act mm. of adultery. Now here's mm. a question, and we don't want to be inappropriate on air, but how, how is that possible? You know, this is not, mm. adultery is not an act that typically takes place in public. It's not an act that typically is broadcasted because no. otherwise there would have already been some sort of divorce and moving on into another relationship. But this is something that's secret. Yes. How in the world did they find her here? Mm, mm. It's a good question. I guess we can speculate a little bit, but it's certainly giving us the idea that they were caught you know, they they were seen, they were watched out, they were... Yeah, something that it, it leads me to think about is um, how did they know this was happening? They brought they brought her to Jesus. They had a purpose in this. We see that the Pharisees, they were really intelligent men. They they had always a purpose in it. And so looking at it, I'm thinking, well, they is this a setup? I think, that, you know, possibly there's not a, the, yeah. the thought of that happening there. It's certainly not the first time we see Jesus being set up in mm. Scripture. but Certainly. Certainly, because we've got, we've got so many times in Scripture where, where people are coming to Jesus with, with a problem or with a question that is specifically aimed at tripping Jesus up so that mm. he will be looking the fool in front of everyone. Ways to discredit him, ways to get the crowd to not want to follow him anymore. And here's a group of people who are power hungry, who are trying to do this yet again, and they're going to some extreme means. <laughs> Strangers, I 
you go and you're listening to Real Faith on Faith FM and I just want to put a reminder out there to you that we love absolutely love yes, to hear do. from you. So if you have any comments or you have any particularly Bible questions about this topic or any Bible question that for that matter, we would love to encourage you to call or text in or hit us up on our Facebook page. And so Beck, can you tell them how how can we do that? Yeah, yeah. Guys, we really want to hear um your thoughts on the on what we're talking about today and also maybe just questions that you've had throughout the week. Now is the chance um to ask those questions. So the number is 1-800-324-843, which is 1-800-FAITH-FM. Um, or, so you can call in on that number or you can text in on 0491-064-669. You can also hit up our Facebook page and um, you can give us a message on there. Perfect. Awesome. So we're in the story. We've got Jesus is in the temple, right? Yeah. It's the solemn day after the, you know, the, the seven days of the festival. It's a solemn day. It's a convocation. Here is Jesus. And Jesus is in the temple. He sits down to teach. He begins teaching. Mm. And here come the religious leaders, and they take this woman who they say was caught in the very act of adultery, and they drag her into the temple, Mm. Mm. and they present her there before him, and it says, in the midst. Now, what does in the midst imply? In the middle. In the middle. That's exactly right. Because there are other people around. Because who was Jesus teaching? Other people. Clearly not himself, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so this begs the question. How appropriate is it to do that? Yeah. One of the things I was thinking of just then is how mortifying this would have been. Um, And also how, yeah, how strange a thing. Like it's almost like a, not a church service, but a sort of a a, a sacred church scenario where you're learning about the Bible, you're learning about God. That's what Jesus would have been teaching about and thinking that this woman was dragged in. If she was caught in the act, I don't know if she's got a a bedclothes wrapped around her or what, you know, how she's, how she's dressed or clothed. Um, It would have been really mortifying. It would have been obvious. It would have been a rabble like a lot of people. 
people coming. Mm. It um, would have been a very intense scenario for everyone watching. They're like, what's going to happen? What's Jesus going to do? You know? Yeah, flabbergasted, right? Absolutely. And can you just imagine if you were sitting there yourself Mm. um, or Robbie, if you were preaching to our local church and some church members brought someone in off the street and did this, like whether, you know, if whether you're Jesus or whether you're just one of the people watching, you're going to be kind of gobsmacked and also like, uh, what's going to happen next? Mm. That's right. Like, what's well, what's going on here? And think about this. It's not just like, you know, th- there's someone in charge and then someone who's not in charge has come in. It's actually that the people who are in charge. Yeah, that's the true. The people who are respected. It'd be like the local the local leaders and religious leaders mm. coming into that mm. space with this woman who's been caught in the act, probably not dressed as well as anyone would like. Mm. And she's thrown into the middle of this. Mm. So as a, as an onlooker, you're probably in the position of hold, not, not only just what's going to happen, but why why is this happening? Yeah. Right? And I think it makes me wonder, like, maybe there is more to this story as we are talking before the break because, you know, these leaders could be dealing with this issue themselves. They don't need to bring it before Jesus, but they are choosing to do that. So why might they be choosing to do that? That's and exactly. Also thinking about, like, a personal aspect – thinking this is quite a small area often where Jesus was and the people were quite closely knit. So you may have known that woman. She could have been a neighbor or a friend. Very true. It, it would have been someone likely who was in there, what you would say, like a church congregation, somebody that you saw and you knew. It would have been really confronting. And this woman, how would have she been feeling? And That's we, a good question to ask. My That's other question going. is, um, if it does take two to commit adultery, right? Yes. Why are we only seeing one? Mm. Okay, so we're, let's let's break this down. These are a lot of great observations and questions. Here is the woman alone. Mm-hmm. So first of all, where's the other person? Right. Great question. And secondly, put yourself in her shoes, like you said. Yeah. Really think about that. Not all, like in the shoes of the onlookers is one thing, but imagine if your sins mm. had been found out. How many people who have committed a sin like adultery have not experienced shame? Mm. I know that all of my issues in my life that I have strayed from the path, I've done things that I know to be wrong, and Mm. especially things of a sexual nature, Mm. they cut so deep into who you are. And to have all of that baggage thrown out, exposed before Mm. all Mm. of the people who are respected for the whole community to know and to see... And you're taking all the blame yourself because they don't even know who the other person was because for some reason, Mm. they didn't bring them either, which has serious implications because it seems to indicate that there is a cunning behind what's being, behind what's happening in this case, Mm. that it's planned. It seems to have almost this, this real tinge of this was prepared. And also maybe just something I'm thinking about is the disregard for this woman. Yeah. If it was planned, which it seems like it is, they're not thinking about her at all. As we read through the story, we see that they're really targeting Jesus, but she they don't care really what happens to her because this could be resulting in death for her. That's right. Mm. So let's read on. Can you read verse 5 and 6 for us, Katie? Yeah. So this is John 8, 5 and 6. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So here we get an idea, yeah, (laughs) that there is some kind of a testing that they're wanting to do here. Okay, so first of all, there's a lot of questions that come out of that, right? Mm. Why, well, first of all, what is Jesus writing? Yeah, great question. Any any guesses? 
Don't guess too much because the text actually does not indicate to us what's been written. Yeah. I was going to say from the text that there's not much I can kind of get from well, it. Not yet, but I would beg to differ a little bit further on, actually. All right. Well, let's save that for then when we get a little <laughs> bit further on. Like, yeah. But I want to I identify something here. Mm. We in our context see this as a really, you know, perhaps a really harsh response, mm. right? And part of that is because our society has really forgotten the sanctity of the family unit. And I just mm. want to highlight something here. The family unit, whether you're a Christian or otherwise, is actually the foundational basic unit of all of society. Without the family, there is no tribe. Without the family, there is no community. Without the family, there is no broader Absolutely. humanity. Yeah. It takes it takes parents to raise a child. It takes people to raise up because a human being young, you know, infants, they don't they don't survive on their own. They're incapable of providing for themselves. Mm. And so this this has been regarded in all societies essentially throughout history as a sacred thing. Yeah. And we don't, so we have a hard time understanding that. But in their context, to preserve the sanctity of the marriage, there were some serious repercussions. Yeah. Now, here's the challenge. What does the law actually say? Tell us. And so the law actually says, dun, 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 in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 22 onward, it says, if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them mm. shall die. Okay. Not just... The one person. Now, this yeah. is really important. Yeah. This is really important because it shows that the justice was equal. Yeah. Yes. And it also shows that what's going on here is not a is fair trial. Not equal. Yeah. Definitely not a fair trial. And really, the question is, who's on trial? It's actually Jesus. Yeah. It's Jesus that's yeah. on trial. Yeah, 100%. Because what do they say to him? Well, they, they, they ask him, like, should she be stoned? Because Moses says she should be. Right. And now in the in the Greek, it's actually a more emphatic statement. He mm. says, Moses says in the law yeah. this. Yeah. And we all acknowledge Moses as the one who delivered Torah. Yeah. The first five books of the, the Bible, the law, the mm -hmm. commandments, the things that guard and guide and protect our entire society. Mm. Moses says this. What do you say? Yeah. What do you say, Jesus? And what they're doing is they're putting him in a very prickly kind of position yeah i'm because, glad it's not me <laughs> yeah that's right because in the law it said both shall die yeah the man that lay with the woman and the woman so you shall put away the evil from israel and then it goes on to say um in other writings in the jewish talmud it says that it would be a betrothed woman who would particularly have stoning mm. or a betrothed okay. man yeah, who would yeah. particularly be stoned as yeah. the means of this capital punishment mm. so this indicates that likely she was an engaged woman Right? Interesting. So this is super fascinating. But the key here is that Jesus is being put in a position in front of all of his, his followers where there's Roman guards outside the temple who are on patrol and being given an ultimatum. You have one choice here, Jesus, and it's between these two options. Either you say she deserves to be stoned, yeah, which honors the law of Moses, yeah. which means that you uphold the law. But guess what? Only the Roman jurisdiction Sorry, only the Romans have the jurisdiction to enact capital punishment. Yeah, absolutely. You are not allowed to, uh, to authorize that, Jesus. Mm. So if you say to honor the law of Moses, what we're going to do is we're going to turn you over to Rome and call you an insurrectionist, and that's the end of you. Yeah. And we're rid of the problem of having you. Oh, it's a sticky situation. It seems like there's only two options. And then yeah. there's the flip side, mm. right? So what if what if he says, no, 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 don't stone her? What if he says, let's let's adjust this for mercy because... 
first of all, you've set her up. Clearly, someone has set this up. Mm. This is not normal. And she should not be brought to the temple anyway. She mm. should be brought to the court yep. with yeah. the man who is also accused. And there must be eyewitness testimony because the way that this happened is that the death sentence, even when Israel was allowed to enact it because they were ruling themselves, only took place under the eyewitness testimony of eyewitness evidence of two or three yeah, witnesses, witnesses. witnesses. For sure. right? So what these men are doing when they come in is they say, we caught her in the act. We are the witnesses, mm. which means, according to their tradition, that they would be the first people who would have to throw the stones if he said to execute her. Mm-hmm. Super fascinating, because what Jesus is about to respond speaks directly to that. But he's between a rock and a hard place, right? Yeah. You either honor the law of Moses and we turn you over to Rome or you dishonor the law of Moses and therefore we're going to call you someone who is not from God because mm. you're disregarding scripture. And then I think about Jesus' response off of that, like this scenario, how would we respond? How would I respond if I was a teacher in this scenario? Um, and the way that we look at Jesus responding, yeah, is very different. It's not at all what you would think. He, he crouches down and he starts drawing in the sand. And I think, man... Jesus was so connected with God. He does the right things. He doesn't do wrong things. That was the right thing to do. And I think to myself, how do I know? How would I know what to do in that situation? Would I start talking straight away? Likely. Um, (laughs) But Jesus doesn't. And I really like verse one. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Then verse two says, now early in the morning. So we find Jesus has actually come from a scenario where he, which he often did, whereas he went into nature. He spent time with God and he did devotional, personal communion time with God. And something I love from that is that Jesus has just come from this experience with God and then he gets set up in this situation, but he can deal with it because he has that background and that morning time with God. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful because you got to think to yourself, like put yourself in Jesus's shoes. How would I deal with that situation? Mm. How do you prepare for a situation like that being thrust upon you? Mm. And the simple answer is, well, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Except, except that when you are connecting with God Mm. daily, yes, God Mm. teaches you things that become applicable in other circumstances in life. Mm. You know, Jesus promised that when you are brought before synagogues and rulers as a follower of Christ and being persecuted and questioned for your faith mm. under threat and penalty of persecution, yep. how will you prepare? He says, don't, don't plan what to say. He says, the Holy Spirit will, will give you, you at that time what to say. Yeah. Well, how is he going to bring back these things to your mind? You need to have spent time to with spend God time in the word. Praying, yeah, learning, growing. Because the Holy Spirit can bring things back to you and remind you of lessons. And I've experienced this so many times where I'm put under the pump. Somebody asks me a difficult question. I go, you know, the funny thing is I read about that this morning. Not because I was preparing for that because that's not what we were were planning to talk about. But because because it's relevant and because God had a bigger plan throughout Mm -hmm. that. And because I was connected to Jesus... He gave me the right thing for the right time. So good. So good. That's a great observation, Beck. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Jesus gets down. He starts writing in the sand. We don't know what he's writing. We may have some indications, but let's keep reading. Mm. Can you read for us, Katie, the next two verses? No worries. So John chapter 8, 7 and verse 8. It says, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. All right. So this is a really weird interaction, right? 
Yeah. Super weird. Yeah. Hey, Jesus, answer the question. And Jesus just gets down on his haunches and he starts riding in the sand. If yeah. they weren't already frustrated with Jesus, this would have just added fuel to that fire. Because <laughs> they're like, right. is he ignoring us? Did yeah. he not hear us? I think they were. They they Because they keep asking him. Yeah. They're yeah. being uh, frustrated. What are you doing, bro? Get up and answer the question. What are, you, what, what are you riding? They're probably not even paying attention to what he's riding at this stage. Yeah. yeah. But what's interesting to note is that in this statement where he's writing something that we don't know exactly what he was saying, mm. this is actually the only place where we have any evidence of Jesus writing anything. Mm. So whatever it is that happens in this story, whatever is going on that Jesus is writing about is so significant that this is the only place in the entirety of the gospel stories mm. where we see evidence of Jesus writing anything yeah, wow. at all. Yep. So whatever happens next is big stuff. This is Caroline Cobb, the Passover song. Precious blood and the lamb that will come. 
back to Real Faith on Faith FM. You're listening to Robbie and Katie and Beck, and we're digging into the story of Jesus dealing with the woman caught in adultery in the temple in John chapter 8. We've just gotten to the part of the story where Jesus is stooping on the ground. He's writing something that's not disclosed. Mm. And as you might imagine, the Pharisees and the scribes, they continue to ask him to respond. Because what would you do if you asked someone an important question? You were demanding an answer, and they just kind of kneeled down and started writing in the dirt. You'd yeah. probably be a little upset. Yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and just another encouragement, we've, uh, we've got a question for Question of the Day that's come in, and we just want to encourage anyone else who's got any questions or any comments that they'd like to share with us that you can contact us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669 or our Facebook page at Faith FM on Facebook. And we'll be getting to that um, question later in the session, right? After the news, we'll After be getting the news. into awesome. some of that. Awesome. So, all right. So we've just read that Jesus is stooping on the ground. Now let's read the next verse. Can you read verse 9 for us, Katie? Sure thing. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Okay, so wow. Jesus gets down and he writes. They keep asking questions. So what does Jesus do? He continues to write. Yep. And instead of answering their question verbally, and the Bible is not explicit as to what Jesus wrote. And I'm very curious to hear what Beck's going to share in a moment about what she thinks that is. And commentators have talked about this for, you know, hundreds of years about what they think that is, perhaps millennia, if we think it's been 2,000 years since that's been written almost. But what's very fascinating is just a little bit of the context of this story. So I want to just ask the question, what could he be writing on the ground that would be so convicting that these people who knew that they were in the wrong walked away embarrassed because they would have lost so much face in the face of the community. Jesus is just one. That's true. Mm. Jesus clearly wins by this because they are walking away unanswered from this scenario. Yeah. So to to understand this, we need to, I I think this will help us to gain some clarity. Beck, can you read for us John 7, verse 37 to 39? So this is what Jesus says at the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, just before we read that, the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, they had a tradition that they would do. And in that tradition, they would gather together at the beginning of the ceremony and they would, they would do what's called a water libation ceremony. Mm-hmm. And they okay. would pour this water and they would quote from Isaiah 12, verse 3, which says, Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
this was a ceremony that they would do and they would mm. pour this water into yeah. these two these two outlets that would flow in two different directions talking about how essentially essentially God's salvation was going to flow out from Jerusalem yeah mm. right now in the midst the final day the big day of this feast of celebration that God's salvation comes like this water mm. what does Jesus stand up and say yeah this is so cool so verse 37 says on the last day that great day of the feast Jesus stood and he cried out saying if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Wow. Boom. Okay. Okay. What's going on here? What's go- what is what is Jesus claiming? Yeah, it's so cool. I really love it because just what you you preface this with is that the scripture or what they what they normally do is they normally pour the water and they're talking about that drawing to salvation. But Jesus here, he says, if anybody of you are thirsty, if you need water, come to me because I'm the one that's going to take away everything. Oh, it gives me chills. It makes the hair stand up on it's, my neck just thinking about the significance of the statement. It's just so mm. neat because he's saying like, I am the fulfillment of what you Absolutely. have been reading. Yeah. And not only that, it's kind of going further when it's saying that we will become these springs of water. Mm. That's right. It's not only Jerusalem that are going to receive salvation, so but cool. through each individual who receives salvation through Jesus, we then become a spring or a stream to mm. someone else. Mm. That's right. So he makes, he equates himself as the very source of the living water of salvation that they are seeking and talking about. Mm. And he says, when you drink from me, Mm. he says, you will have that fountain of living water put inside of you. Mm. Speaking about the Holy Spirit, God coming to live in your own heart. Beautiful. It's an incredibly bold statement. Yeah. In fact, it's so bold that there were many in the crowd who started to ask some serious questions about him. And we're going to find that in John chapter 8, it comes to a point where he actually makes a statement claiming divinity, claiming to be the God of Abraham, at which point they try to stone Jesus. Yeah, mm. And it's really interesting, the context of it. I think that Jesus says this at the last day of the feast. He cried out. And then, as you said, Robbie, people are asking questions. They're saying, is this the Christ? Is this the one who is to come? And then I think the religious leaders, like personally, that they started to get riled up and they thought, man, is this the one who's going to come? And... Since they didn't want that to be the case, they're the woman. That they're trying to put an end you know? to it. So let's yeah. try, and people are asking if Jesus is really the Messiah. Mm. Let's throw him out by bringing this woman in yeah. Yeah. and doing this story. Get All the pieces start to link up. Now, how does this relate mm. to the writing in the sand? Because mm. I don't want to take up our whole Bible study on that, but here's the point. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, it says this, and it uses that fountain of living waters. Note that. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me, says God, shall be written in the earth. Mm, that's so cool. Written in the earth. Now check it out. It gets even more cool. It says, because they have forsaken the Lord, mm. the fountain of living Waters. Wow. Jesus says, I am the fountain of living waters Mm. the day before. And he says, you can have that by coming to me. If you're thirsty for salvation, come to me. They bring a woman in before him. And instead of answering their question, falling into their trap, he starts writing something on the ground. And whatever he wrote 
He's riding on the earth, mm. and it convicted them so much mm. that they, they were ashamed of what they were doing and in bringing left. the woman, and they left. Yeah. Wow. And I love this because what I want to say is, is that when you come to Jesus with your shame mm. and mm. you surrender it, Jesus is in your corner. Mm. Absolutely. He's in your corner. He's fighting for you, and he is, he is there to stand up against those who would shame you to bring you to salvation. Mm. Absolutely. So powerful. All right, let's keep reading the yeah. story. Uh, Katie, do you want to read read up to verse 11? From verse 10? All the way, I've, I've, yeah. 10, 11, and 12. Read 12 as well. Okay, and it says, When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has not one of them condemned you? <laughs> this is beautiful. She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither oh. do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Yeah. Oh, man. So what's going on here? Yeah, that's, just... that's so cool. Look, I know you spoke about writing in the sand. And personally, what I believe is what a lot of Bible commentators have said is that it seems as if Jesus is actually writing the people's sins, the Pharisees' sins in the sand. And it's methodical because it says from the oldest to the youngest, they start mm. to leave. So it seems mm. that Jesus is starting. Man, he's like, I remember you, you know, Pharisee Ryan. He's like, I remember you back in the day and, and this is your sin. And they start looking and they're convicted. It says by their conscience, their conscience convicts them. Yeah. And then they start to leave. And then we see this picture of Jesus saying, well, these guys were convicted woman what's happening has somebody condemned you to die and then he looks at her and she looks up she's probably not been looking up for a while now she's waiting for stones to start pelting her and she looks up and she says no one lord and then he says to her go and sin no more it's so cool because to me looking at that um just as you were talking about your shame and your pain and issues robbie like bringing them to jesus she has these problems um, and she's she's there. She's with Jesus and he says, I don't condemn you, but I want you to go and sin no more. I want you to take that away. I, I want to get rid of that from your life. That's such a powerful thing. Mm. It really is. Mm. Oh, man. Do you have any, you look like you have something you wanted to say, Katie, no? Oh, I was just going to say, I just love so much the picture that we have here of Jesus mm. um, where we see how he deals with us in our shame. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's so easy to want to hide or to keep things to ourselves, but we actually see Jesus doesn't encourage her to continue what he what she was doing. Like he overtly says, you know, don't sin anymore. So he acknowledges that, but he also meets her with empathy and grace. And, um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's so cool because... In these stories, we actually see sandwich um, these I am statements that Jesus has. So the one that we just saw that he says, like, um, basically, who, he who believes in me, come to me and I'll give him something to drink. And then straight after this, Jesus spoke and he says, I am the light of the world. And basically, it's like Jesus saying, I want you to come out of sin. I'm the light and I'm drawing you out of darkness. Mm. And what he says to us is he says, I want you to come out of darkness yeah. into the light. And he's the remedy for it all. So Absolutely. we don't have to do it. We can come with our shame and our burdens and our problems to Jesus. And he wants to draw us out of that darkness. He's not condemning us for being there, but he doesn't want us to stay there. Mm. There's so much in this. Hey, mm, there's yeah. just so much in this passage. 
I love this. He says, he who is without sin among you, throw the first stone. Mm. Yeah. Because remember, the first person to throw the stone would be the eyewitnesses to the sin. Mm. And he's saying, hey, whichever one of you is the, is the, the, the two or three people who saw this, who's claiming that this is the issue, you be the first one to throw the stone if you don't have any sin. Yeah. Now, this is interesting because Jesus is not saying there's no place for civil authority. Like, God is the one who gave them these, these rules yeah. for that time yeah. to legislate and to, to run their, their, their culture. But what he is saying here is that what you have done is unjust in bringing her here in this way. Yeah. 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 You have sinned in the way you have done this Mm. is the implication. Yeah. And he says, so whichever one of you is without sin, you be the one to throw the first stone. Yeah. And as they see whatever it is that he wrote, whether that be their sins or Mm. something else, the older ones who've had more life experience and have had more sin. Yeah. Yeah. Realize that and they walk away. Yeah. They walk away because they know they are not without guilt. Mm. And Jesus is the only human being who has ever lived without guilt. Yeah. Because he's the only human being who has ever lived who has not sinned or committed evil or selfishness or wrong. And ultimately... If anyone was to pick up a stone, it would be He has the authority to do that. he has the authority to. Yeah. He has not committed any sin. He can rightly judge. He can rightly execute justice. Yeah. Mm. But in this scenario, we see that his goal, his desire is for repentance, which means to turn. He wants to see a life transformed. Absolutely. This encounter that she has with Jesus sets her up to see the clearest picture of who God is. Mm. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact image of God the Father, Mm. right? Amen. And here we see that God's desire for us is mercy to those who are willing to accept it. Absolutely. And notice, it's not just like, it's, it's not, sometimes this makes people nervous to think about this because we think that maybe Jesus is just like, he just allows oppression to take place or allows sin to be okay. And that's not the case. Mm-mm. Very clearly not the case. His goal is to offer mercy and grace so that this woman can be saved, mm. right? So that she can be transformed, so that she can experience freedom from the darkness and live in the light. And he says this, he says, hey, where are those who condemned you? Mm. All those people who condemned you, the people who put you down, the shame that you bear. He says, where are they? Yeah. And she says, there's no one, Lord. There's no one. There's no one left to condemn, only you. Mm. You're the only one left who can condemn me. Mm. And yeah. Jesus says, well, I don't condemn you. Here's forgiveness. This is what grace looks like. Now go and sin no more. Yeah, powerful. And this is powerful because he's saying, don't continue in that. No, yeah. Look, I've just rescued you from the consequences of those things. But, yeah. But go and walk in newness of life. You're forgiven. You're clean. Here's a clean slate. Welcome to new life. Yeah. Walk in the light. Walk in the light because it's so much better. Mm. So we've got like a minute left here. So we're going to try and draw some application. <laughs> and what I want to just say to you is if you are listening and you feel like you're the woman, mm. you have done sin in your life and you have been thrown out, your shame has been exposed, there is no one left to condemn you, right? Because Jesus is the very one who has paid for your sins. And so he says, hey, I died for you. Do you want me? Because I'm offering you forgiveness. I'm offering you grace. I'm offering a newness of life, a new life, in fact. Come walk with me. And whether you're someone who has never followed Jesus, never heard that call, or has been doing that and has fallen short, Mm. like we all do. Jesus is offering to you that invitation. And I wanna just encourage you right now to call out to God, 
ask for his forgiveness, ask for his grace. And I want to extend to you an invitation to contact us through our Facebook page for materials or for prayer and to reach out and get some assistance on how to navigate that journey if that's something you're interested in. This is the Sing Team, Satisfied in You. And the flood is welling up behind my eyes So I eat the tears I cry And if that were not enough They know just the words to cut and tear and prod When they ask me where's your God Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your face to me As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you And when I behold your glory, you so faithfully renew Like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh I am satisfied in you When I'm staring at the ground it's an inbred feedback loop that brings me down So it's time to lift my brow And remember better days When I love to worship you in all your ways With the sweetest songs of praise Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your grace to me As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you And when I survey your splendor so faithfully renew like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh I am satisfied in you let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness
And your breakers and your waves crash down on me I'll recall your safety scheme You're the one who made the waves And your son went out to suffer in my place And to tell me that I'm safe Why am I down? Why so disturbed? I am satisfied in you I am satisfied in I am satisfied in you I am satisfied in you I am satisfied Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Welcome back to Real Faith on Faith FM. If you're listening in, we're just so glad to have you back. We are just wrapping up the story of the woman caught in adultery, and it, man, what a powerful story! Yeah, yeah, what absolutely. a powerful story of redemption, and also what a powerful story of correction, really, mm. right? And so, I just wanted to just. Before we go into the question of the day, just any any last short applications from that. Do you guys have anything you'd like to share? Well, for me, actually, I think um, something that really stuck with me was the fact that Jesus spent time in devotion. And I mm. think for me, practically thinking, man, I'm going to come up with things during the day. Um, I'm going to come up with things that I need to address and that, that will come towards me and things that I have in my own life, maybe sin and problems. I need to spend that time coming to Jesus. And we can't come physically as the woman did because Jesus isn't here on earth physically, but we can come to him in the morning. And for me, practically, it's so important. It just drives home to me spending that time with Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm reminded in this story of a quote by an academic that I enjoy reading, and she speaks about shame, and she says, shame cannot survive being spoken. And I think Mm. you see that here. When we are open and vulnerable with God, he meets us with grace. And the key is there, we need to be vulnerable. We need to offload our shame and our sin to him. And when we do, we're not met by a God um, that's wanting to stone us. We're actually met with a God that's wanting to forgive us and heal us and for us to move forward from where we've been. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely beautiful. And the other thing that I think is worth drawing out of this is not only is God here to extend and offer forgiveness and grace and to transform your life, but but he also wants to lead you out of that life. Absolutely. Not, it's, not Into just, the light. it's not just a pat on the head, okay, everything's fine. No, mm. he wants to actually lead you out of the darkness so that you may walk in a path that is different, that's new. Yeah. And that's a journey. Mm. It's, it's, it's such a journey. There's going to be falling down on the way. There's going to be struggles. But it's a, it's a journey that God wants to take you on. Mm. And this story just highlights that Jesus is not, 
He's not condoning sin. No, not at all. He's not condoning these things. He's actually offering mercy and offering us the way out. Yeah. And he upholds the righteousness Mm. of of his way of being, his character, his his commands. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. So I encourage you to call in if you want some more information, some resources on that. Contact us via our Facebook page. It's now time for the question of the day. Woo-hoo. So we have a question from Ben that has come in. So thank you, Ben, for your question. And the question is, for the real faith guys, does 1 Timothy 2.12 prohibit women from teaching, leading, and preaching in the church? Is there biblical justification for this? Or is this a misinterpretation of the text? Or was it a cultural issue of the time? Or does God actually require the church to adhere to this for all times? So the question is, what does 1 Timothy 2 verse 12 say? Yeah. And how does that, what, what does the Bible actually give us in terms of guidance regarding the, the ability for women to preach and lead and teach mm. in the context of the church? Which is a great question. And by mm. the way, is actually a very controversial question yeah. in many church circles. And we will by no means be able to answer that in full <laughs> today. But we're going to do our best in the next four minutes to give you some insights. Yeah. So let's read 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. Whoa, that sounds pretty harsh, right? Yeah, pretty harsh. Especially for those of us who are now living in a pluralistic society where there are Mm. many belief systems, many different value sets Mm. that are in play all the time. Yeah. So the first thing that we want to say is that the best way to interpret scripture is to test it against other scripture. Absolutely. We need to understand context, but we also need to understand it in its broader context scripturally. Yeah. So what we want to look at is, are there examples in the Bible of other women who were in positions of leadership and Mm. specifically given authority in preaching, leading, and teaching? Yeah. Yeah. So let's take it away, girls. Yeah. Well, I think a really great example to look at where we actually do see women in leadership and having a spiritual role um, is an Old Testament example, and that's Deborah. She was one of the judges, um, and we see that God used her. She was a prophet, she was a wife, and she actually helped rule over Israel during the time of the judges. And we even see examples of her going to war with Israel because um, the commander of the army didn't want to go without her because God was giving her instruction and word you know, to the people of Israel from God. So yeah. we do see examples of God using women through Scripture. And this isn't the only example. Yeah, absolutely. And listening to what she said. So mm. it said that she would, Deborah would sit under a che- um, under a tree. Yeah. And sitting there, the people would come up and would bring their problems would teach. to her. Yeah. She would listen, she would teach, and she would give them judgment even further. She would be the one telling them what the result should be. So she was the spiritual leader of mm. Israel yeah, at absolutely. that time. Yeah. Absolutely. God ordained. Yeah. Yeah. And so one other example that we have, um, which comes to mind is the example of Phoebe. And so in Romans um, chapter 16, you guys can have a look at it. We don't have time now. But Phoebe, um, this is what Paul says. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So what we find here actually is that Paul gives Phoebe the letter. So she's entrusted with the letter to go and give it to the saints. He says, you need to assist her with everything. And the Bible says here servant, but actually if you look at it, um, the Greek word for it is diakonos, which means deacon. So wow. actually Phoebe yeah. was a deacon in the church. Uh, it's the same word that's that's used for the guys. And so she was a deacon. She was a leader and a teacher and a preacher. 
And that actually sets a really high precedent because we know that in the early church, the deacons had an interesting Very role. Very important role. One, they were, first of all, supposed to give out food to the people who had not been given enough portions, mm. right? But also, Philip, for example, is a deacon. Philip was one who was preaching in Acts chapter was, 8 over yeah. and over mm. and converting people to Christ and yeah. was the one who baptized the Ethiopian man traveling on the road. Mm. Secondly, considering these deacons, Stephen, the first martyr, the first Christian martyr to die for his faith was, was a actually deacon. a deacon. Mm. And so in their context, a deacon had a role of leadership and teaching. Yeah. So this is actually a really important thing to consider. Mm. So the challenge that we have with this topic is that it's very controversial, right? Yeah. So here's the question. If that's the case, if those are the precedents set elsewhere in Scripture, why is it that Paul would write mm. this? Mm. And so one of the considerations is that the culture and the context of the time Women didn't have the same role and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The same... Credibility. Uh, credibility. That's, thank you. That's exactly the word. Thank you for helping me, lovely woman in ministry. Um, <laughs> so you have to understand that it's hard sometimes to make changes in the midst of a cultural context that's mm -hmm. not ready yet for the, the, the level of change that really should take place. And so what we see here is Paul using an, an example of speaking into his culture and his time. And we actually have to be careful in how we interpret these things in our culture and our time because there are places in the world where if a woman is in a position of preaching and teaching, it may not uh, it, it may lead to bad results because mm. of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. And so they are things that we need to navigate prayerfully and carefully. But that's our short answer, and we encourage you to continue studying that out. This yeah, is Allison Brooke, No Words. The swirling darkness bearing down of God, the smile turned to a frown. The weight of sin, the bitter cup of woe. The dregs he drank that choked his cry, as even Jesus asked God.
Welcome back to Real Faith on Faith FM. We uh, have just, man, we just had a, a cracker of a question, a question that's actually really hotly debated among uh, religious circles. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, it's a polarizing topic. And I mm. want to encourage you that mm. ultimately when we consider any of these topics that are, that, that are considered a bit controversial, that it's really important that we treat each other humbly when we come to these different perspectives so that we can not just do what often is happening in the political world and just swing left or swing right because that's our preference, but actually prayerfully, carefully sift through Scripture and ask yeah. God, how how can we best move the mission mm. forward? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because sometimes, like, the Old Testament is a is a clear example, like the, the, the book of Judges, for example, mm. and Kings. We see God working in a, in a system that is bent. Yeah. yeah. And God is not able to make all of the adjustments immediately that he would like to make. Mm. And so God is navigating through from where they are towards God's ideal. And the question is, how fast can God move us towards his ideal without us abandoning ship or it falling apart? Yeah. And so that's something that I think we need to prayerfully and carefully consider when mm. we, especially when we consider topics like this. That yeah. Are, you know, because they're so they're so emotionally charged because they really matter to us. Yeah. yeah. And I'm on air with two women who are involved in ministry whom mm. I deeply respect and appreciate their ministry, and there's some people who would be offended by that. Mm. That doesn't change my position, but I I need to be humble in my mm. in my in, in my attitude towards them. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you guys for sharing your perspective. It's been such a blast to have you guys on today. Yeah, I've loved it. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Awesome. It's so good. So good. So, just in summary. We've, we've just learned some amazing things about the grace of God today, haven't we? Mm. Jesus is in the business of turning lives around. Jesus is in the business of encountering people like Akil, mm. like Beck, like Katie, like me, and like you who is listening. And God is in the business of bringing restoration and redemption. And he's not there pointing the finger ready to attack you. He actually wants to give you mercy and to remind you that he loves you and longs for you. Yeah, he does. And he wants to lead you from the life that you're living into a better life. Mm. So we just want to encourage you to continue to, to seek for God and to look for him on that journey. And uh, keep getting into scripture and digging in. Man, I've really enjoyed this series so far on Encounters with Jesus. How yeah. about you? It's been great. I just love reading how Jesus interacts with people. And there's just so many practical lessons we can take for today. And it's just great to see how people respond to Jesus as well. And it just gives us a real picture of who God is. He's relatable. He's tangible. That's awesome. Now, I just got a quick announcement. I had to put it at the end because <laughs> I was terrified I'd cry otherwise. But this is Katie's last week ah. on air. So 
we'll miss you, Katie. But thank you for coming along with us, it's Beck, to join the journey. Yeah. And thank you, Katie, for your last few weeks. And we just want to encourage everyone to remember to not only read, but to apply what you've been learning from Scripture. Encounter Jesus and share it with the world. And remember that real faith is lived faith. God bless you.